Well, we are in First uh, John. Actually, we are starting a new book today. And as uh, we begin a new book, I'm always excited to, as, we, uh, as we get into a new book. And why I get excited is because we know that the writers have actually been given insight and revelation from the Lord to address Christians that are facing unique circumstances, whatever they may be. And because we know that God is living and His Word is living, we know that He has a special message for us. He has things that He wants to speak to us about. He knows what we're facing and He knows the unique circumstances that we're in. And one thing we know is that when it comes to the book of the Bible, when it comes to 1 John, we know that this book, with the inclusion of the remaining books, it gives us the whole counsel of God. See, we just don't have it from one writer. We don't have it from, from just one individual. We have it from several writers. And we know that these writers all speak the same message for us. And you know what? As we get into this, this book from 1 John, we know that it is important for us because God desired that it would be part of His Word to us. God had des uh, designed that this Word would become His Scripture, that His Word would live forever and ever. And as we get into 1 John, we're going to get into the, the who's, the when's, the where, and, and of course, to whom. To whom was this book written? But before we go into the whom, we want to talk about the who. You know what, who is it that wrote this book? And for us, you know, as the New Testament church, you know, the title for us, it reveals who wrote it. It's easy for us to say, you know what, we know that John wrote it because it's titled 1 John. But when we actually go through this book, you're going to realize for yourself that his name is not written in this letter. That John's name is never mentioned in the letter. That he's never spoken his name. That he never wrote it. And one thing that we know for the early church fathers, you know, when they had to assign this book to John, it was a bit challenging for them, right? You know, when somebody writes a letter and then they don't address it by who wrote it, then it does become challenging to us. And we're wondering, you know what? Well, who wrote this letter to us? Well, one thing that we know is that the early church fathers, what they did is they reviewed and analyzed the authorship. They, they analyzed the authority. They analyzed the words that he wrote. And of course, we know that they had their word cut out for them. You know, for other New Testament writers, when they wrote their names, as many of them addressed themselves in the beginning of the book, they, they would address themselves as, as, uh, uh, with their names. So it made it easy for us to realize, okay, it was written by them, even though many would challenge the authorship, because we know that no matter what, the Word of God will always be challenged. But for the writers that didn't put their name on there, just like John here, you know what, it's, you know, for us, it, you know what, for us, we have it, but for the early church fathers, when they assigned it, it was, like I said, a little difficult, and it presented its challenges. And so how is it that they determined who wrote this? How did they determine that it was John that actually wrote this epistle? You know, when we, when they read it, they would look at the letter, and they would look for clues, and they would also look to early church fathers to see, you know what, whether they wrote about this and how, and whether they can identify this letter as written by John. When we look at the style and the content of 1 John, you and I will realize that, you know what, it is very similar in style and very similar in content to the other uh, writings from John. You know, and so as you look at this, we know that the early church fathers did credit this book to John. 
And we know one thing about John. John was well known in the church. We know of his authority. We know of his apostleship. And so only he could write with the authority that he wrote this letter in. And so as we go through this, I want to talk about John. Who is John? For us that, uh, that may not be very familiar with, uh, with, the, uh, with these letters or with John the Apostle, let's talk about him. We know that he was one of the twelve that was chosen by Jesus. And we also know that he had an older brother named James. And we know that uh, these brothers were called the sons of Zebedee. We have James and we have John. James being the older and John being the younger. And they were called sons of Zebedee because that's what their dad's name was. And we know that Jesus also called them the sons of thunder. And as we know that tradition tells us that James and John were actually cousins to Jesus. And why was he cousins? Why do we have cousins? Because, you know what, either our father or mother had a brother or sister and their children became our cousins. And so this, uh, as far as James and John, it is, uh, it is written that, that Mary had a younger sister and this younger sister had both James and John. And so we have here the uh, tradition that tells us that uh, Jesus was their cousin. But as we go through the scriptures, we have realized also that John was actually in the inner circle when it came to Jesus. There were two other apostles that, that always hung out with Jesus. That You can see and you can read about that, you know what, that they were always with Jesus. They were praying with Jesus. They were with Jesus. And, and, and this is John. This is one that was in that inner circle. It was James, both brothers, and Peter. Those were the three that made the inner circle. We also know about John is that he also had some titles to his name. We know that he was John the Evangelist. We know he was John of Patmos. And we also know that he was called the Beloved Disciple. And so when we look at John, one thing we know about the history of John that has been written about John is that John was imprisoned in Rome, just like many of the other apostles. We know that many of them were what? They were imprisoned because of their faith. We know that they were in prison because of their love for Jesus, because they were disciples of the Lord. And no different for John. John was also one that was imprisoned in Rome. And John was imprisoned during the reign of the, uh, during the, reign of the Roman Emperor Domitian. And one thing we know about, about John is that he was sentenced to be boiled in oil in the Colosseum. I think many of us have heard of that. You know what, he was, he was sentenced to death to be boiled in oil. Imagine that. Have you ever touched hot oil, how, how it is? And I mean, that thing burns, doesn't it? And to think that, you know what, that he was sentenced to, be, to die in oil, to be put in there. And one thing we know about John is that nothing happened to him when he was in there. Can you believe that? I mean, it's just amazing to think that, that the Lord would have just, you know what, delivered him from this. And we know that God can do all things. And in doing all things, this is exactly what he did. He actually endured no harm or no suffering from the scalding oil. And it is said that everyone that was in the Colosseum that time, at that time when he was put in the oil, that every single one of them was converted to Christianity as they saw how nothing happened to John, how he was delivered by the Lord. You know, it's just an amazing miracle that God did. See, God said, you know what? It's not time for him to go. My work 
through him is not done, just like many of us. God knows the time when he's going to take us. He knows the time that he brings us, and he knows the time that he takes us. And so what happened after that? You know what it is? It is believed that, that right after this, that the Roman authorities, they exiled, they, they took uh, John, or they took him to the Greek island of Patmos. And this is where he was, he was taken as, as a prisoner there. He was taken to this island. And this is where he wrote the book of Revelation. This is where we get that book. And to think to ourselves, you know what? That, uh, that John, you know what? That God wasn't done with him because he still had writings to do. He still had things to speak to us. And he was going to use John to reveal these things to us. We know that in the island of Patmos, what happened there is that he didn't stay there. He was actually re released from prison. He was released from this island. And where he went after this was to Ephesus. He actually went to a church that was founded by Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he went there and he began to minister there. He began, he was a pastor of, 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 of the church that was there in Ephesus. And one thing we know about John is that he died at the age of 94. Imagine that. He lived for quite some time. And we know that he died at the beginning of the second century, which would have been around 100 A.D. As we talk about John, as I give you insight about John, how many books did John write? You know what, we want to talk about this. You know, when we look at the New Testament, we know that Paul wrote many books of the New Testament, we know that Peter wrote, and we just finished the book of Second Peter. But we're also here now in John, and as we come into John, we want to reveal the books that he wrote to you. And it's pretty obvious by the names that, that some of these books have been given. We know that he wrote First John, and, uh, which we're in right now. He wrote Second John and Third John. There's three letters. And then we also know that he wrote the Gospel of John. And we also know that he also wrote the book of Revelation. And so when we look at the when, when was this book written? As I mentioned, you know, as we go through the book, you know, what well, we don't have an exact date. And the reason we don't have that is because John doesn't give it to us. So it's difficult to really give you the exact timing as to when John wrote this book. See, he gives us no clues or he also, and he also doesn't give us any historical references. When we look at the writings of John, when we look at most of his writings, it is believed that he wrote all of them when he was older in age. And one thing about 1 John, and you're going to see this when we go through this book, is that he addresses, he addresses his readers as children, which sort of validates that, you know what, he is an older man. And so when we look at the books, right, I want to talk about the books that he wrote just to give us some time frames, just to give us some additional insight when it comes to John. When we look at the Gospel of John, which is believed to be the first letter or the, the, uh, the first letter in the New Testament that was written by John. We know something about the Gospel of John. We know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their Gospels much earlier than John wrote his. We know that John waited before he wrote his gospel. This was the last gospel that was written when it comes to the four gospels. And he wrote it 50 years after the Lord's ministry on earth. 
So what we have here, if we took 50 years after the Lord's ministry, it's anywhere between 80 to 90 A.D. And if I told you he died at the year 100, then you know that, yes, and he was 94 years old, then you know what? He would have been much older in age. And when we look at the book of Revelation, when you look at the book of Revelation, you see for yourself that, that uh, it was just an amazing revelation of what is to come. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And he actually gave this book, or he revealed this to him, right before he died. And so when we look at the book of Revelation, we know that it was written before his death, and we know that he died in 100 A.D. So when we talk about 1 John, let's go back to 1 John. When was 1 John written? You know, if it was believed that it was written after the first writing that he did, which was the Gospel of John, then it would have been after 80 to 90 A.D. And if we know that he died at, the, at 100 A.D., and that was the last book that he wrote, which was the book of Revelation, then we know that the book of first epistle, or the letter of first epistle, would have been written anywhere between 90 to 95 A.D. And so this is where we get or where we calculate the sort of the time frame when it comes to when he wrote this book. And so where was John when he wrote this book? Where was it that he was staying? I mean, we know that he was taken uh, or he was released from the island of Patmos. So where did he go after that? I mentioned earlier that he went to the church that was in Ephesus. And this is where it is believed that John wrote the first epistle, that he wrote this, this epistle when he was there in Ephesus. And so as I gave you the the, uh, the when and the who and the, and the where, now it's to talk about the why. You know what, why did John write this book? Why is it that, that John wrote this epistle? Well, we know one thing, as I mentioned earlier, that the Lord wants us to know all truth, doesn't he? John, uh, the Lord wants us to know everything about him. He wants us to know everything that we need to know as we live here on earth. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to reveal his mind and his will for each and every one of us. And so why is it that he wrote it? Well, one thing is, is that Jesus wants to reveal certain truths to us. And he used John to pen these truths so that we have them. And so we know that for it to be a fact. But secondly, what was happening in the church is that there was heresy that was coming into the church. And the heresy that was beginning to come into the church was, was Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was really salvation by special knowledge you know it was you know you needed to know certain things and it was only only by having this special knowledge that that you were one of the chosen that you were one of those that would be saved and in believing this they believed that everything that was material was evil and that included flesh that included everything that that is material that is what is evil and they believed that everything that was spiritual is good and so in believing this, one thing that we know is that since Jesus came in the flesh, they denied that Jesus actually was a man. Because they would say that, you know what? That evil, that matter is evil and the flesh is evil. So they denied the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. And what's so amazing as we're going to go into the first, as we get into the book of 1 John, you will read in the first two verses 
how John crushes this idea. He crushes these lies. And so he wanted, as, as we go through this, not only did he want to crush the heresy, but he also wanted to reveal God's amazing love for us. And he also writes about, in return of having this amazing love, then in return is that we should give him obedience. And he also reminded them, reminded the readers of their love for the brethren, for the family of God, how important it was to love one another. And so, in finality, I do want to share with you to whom did John write. When we look at chapter 2, and when we get into chapter 2, it's going to be very clear that the readers or those that were addressed were Christians. Because as he references in, in, in chapter 2, he says that, you know what, that these Christians that he writes to, he talks to them as little children, that he reminds them that their sins were forgiven, that they knew the Lord, that they knew the Father, and that they had the living, they had the word living within them. And as we look at this, we know that the only way to call yourself a Christian or to be a Christian, to be a little Christ, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, is if you know the Father, if you have a relationship with Him, if He dwells with you, if His Word lives in you, and, if our, uh, and knowing that our sins are forgiven. And so this is who John references, and this is who he talks about. And so we know that the gospel, this, I'm sorry, this first epistle was written to Christians. And we know that as we go through this book, believe me one, on one thing, that this is going to be an amazing book. And as we go through this book, we're going to learn much from this book. And you and I are going to be so blessed by this book. Today, we're only going to go over four verses. We're only going to go over four verses. And, and I do believe that there are many truths that the Lord is going to reveal to us through, through these four verses. They are truths that He wants us to know, that He wants us to walk away with. And let's begin by reading these four. In chapter 1 of 1 John, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. You know, as we read these four verses, you know, there are things that the Lord wants to reveal to us. God wants us to know His will. He wants us to know His mind. He wants us to know Him. And when we think about the Bible in itself, one thing that we know about the Bible is that it was written so that we can all come into a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is. He wants us to know who He is. He wants us to have a relationship with us. One thing about God, understand this, is God wants to reveal Himself to you. That's what's so amazing. You know, when I think about the Lord, I know one thing about Him is that He doesn't want to keep Himself from you. He wants to reveal Himself to each and every one of us. He wants to reveal Himself to the world. And He has. But we know that people don't want that sometimes. They don't want Him. 
And so they reject him and they deny who he is and his revelation. But it's going to be very clear for us today when it comes to the Lord and his will and his mind. When it comes to his revelation, when, he comes, when we talk about his desire for us to know him. We know that one way to know the Lord is, is through his word. You know, for us to know the mind and the will of Christ, we have it here in his word. We know his heart. We know him. And we know it through the written word of God. You know, when I think about this, right, it's just like any of us. When you write letters to somebody, why do you write letters? To reveal what's in your heart, to reveal what's in your mind, to reveal your will. And so we all write letters, and these days, I mean, I think we've gotten sort of away from letters, right? And everybody's now writing what? Emails and texts. But one thing about emails and texts, I don't think they work as efficient as letters used to. Because things are abbreviated and things are so much shorter these days, right? And everybody's in a rush. But one thing about Jesus Christ is he's in no rush. And one thing that we have here is we have the full counsel of God. And the full counsel of God includes 1 John and the remaining 66 books, which is just an amazing thing. Nothing is hidden from us. God wants to reveal all things to you and to me. And so as we read verse 1 again, let's, we're going to go through each verse and we're going to talk about these things that the Lord wants to reveal to us. In verse 1 he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. As I mentioned earlier, Gnosticism, it taught that material was evil. It meant that flesh was evil. And because Jesus came in the flesh, then basically they were saying that he could not be God. And so what we have here from John is John is reminding the people, he's saying, you know what? I saw the Lord, I heard the Lord, and I touched the Lord. See, when we think about this, right? John is trying to tell us, you know what? I saw, heard, and touched God in the flesh. And this is what he's writing to us here. See, the first truth that we're going to be spoken of today, and it's a very important truth because we need to understand that this is extremely important when it comes to us as Christians. The fact that Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh into this world. Know that Jesus was real. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. Jesus is real. He's no fake. He's, he just didn't come as a spirit, but he came in the flesh. And John was just attesting to that. He was trying to say, hey guys, I've touched him, I've seen him, and I heard him. And I know that he's God. And this is what he's writing to us. He's telling to tell us, you know what? Don't believe the liars. Don't believe those false teachers. Don't believe that Jesus was just spirit. Know that he's flesh. You know what? It's just like you and I. I could see you. I could touch you. I can hear you. And we know that you are real. See, this is how we determine things to be real, don't we? When we could touch, when we could see, when we can hear. 
We determine these things to be real. You know, when we talk about the validity of reality, I'm going to share this with you. As children, understand this. As children, we know one thing. How many kids love fairy tales? I think many kids love fairy tales, and maybe there's some adults here, as I saw one hand go up, that loves fairy tales. But when we look at fairy tales, you know, as kids <clears throat> look at fairy tales, my daughter, uh, Selah, likes fairy tales, even at her age now. She's just looking at these things and just, you know what, she's, she enjoys them. You know, she enjoys these things. But we know that there comes a time when, you know what, we no longer live or want fairy tales, right? Every single one of us want the real thing. Every single one of us want reality. We want truth. We want to follow truth. We don't want to live no longer in a place of make-believe. We want to live in a place that is real, in following truth. And this is what John is doing. This is what John is saying. You know what? The Lord is not a fairy tale. The Lord is not a spirit. The Lord is not make-believe. The Lord is real. And he's telling them, you know what? He has revealed himself to me. And I want to share this because as we talk about this, right, there's certain things that I want to talk about here when it comes to reality, when it comes to the reality of Jesus Christ, when it comes to Jesus Christ revealing himself to us. And I could say that he is God. And how is it that God reveals himself to us? There's certain ways that God reveals himself to us. And one of the ways that God reveals himself to us is, is his invisible attributes are seen where? In creation, right? God reveals himself through creation. You know what? Well, when we see what God has created, there is no way that these things came out of nothing. There's no way that they were just, you know what, from a big bang and all of a sudden you have the universe, the way it's functioning today, the way it's seen today, the life that is in it and how it just evolved into what you see today. No, it has a maker. It has a creator. And when we look, at creation, it points to it. How beautiful and how intricate these things are that God has created. When you look at us as human beings, our makeup and all that we possess and all that we are, the eyes and our nerves and our hearts and the way the body functions, there's just no way that we evolved from monkeys and monkeys came from a big bang. There's just no way that these things can be reality. The fact is, is that God spoke everything that we see today into existence. And we know that creation does point to a God. It points to the reality that there is a God. Because there is no other way that these things could be. How is it that God also reveals himself to us? See, we all have the word where God reveals himself to us. But before Jesus Christ came, understand one thing. We only had the Old Testament, right? So we know that the Old Testament, it spoke on God. It spoke about who he was and it spoke his mind and his will. And we know that we also had his, the Jews, his people that would, that would talk about this, that they would talk about his existence. But see, God just didn't want it to stop there. See, one thing that we know about God is that he wanted to do more. He says, you know what? 
I don't want to stop there. I just don't want people to believe in me just by looking at creation or just by reading through the Old Testament, reading things about me. I actually want to come. I want to come and to be with them where they will see me. Remember, when we're talking about the senses, to believe the reality of something is you have to see it, you have to hear it, you have to touch it. And when we talk about the Lord, He was a man that He came. God came on this earth as a man so that we can see God in the flesh, so that we can hear God in the flesh, so that we can touch God in the flesh. And what we have here is we have an eyewitness to this. It just wasn't passed down from generation to generation. Understand this. We have the actual writing of John for us that validates this truth. See, many of us have spoken things, right? And it passes from generation to generation. How many of us talk about this, right? Oh, I heard this and I heard that and it changes and changes. But the reality was that John was the actual eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He touched him. He saw him. And for us, we can believe in this. And this is what John is saying. You know what? I touched him. I saw him. I heard him. And as we think about this, he's talking about the reality of Jesus Christ. But he also, as he talks there, and that which was from the beginning, we also know that this also references the good news. Salvation. You know what? Jesus came, right? Jesus came so that all could be saved. Jesus desires that none should perish. And in this, you know what? We know that salvation comes by faith. It is a gift of God. None of us can save ourselves. That's why we know that when we talk about salvation, we know that only God can save us when we place our faith in Him. See, it is a supernatural thing. It is a miracle of God. Understand that. That when somebody gives themselves to the Lord, that's a miracle in itself. And that's what's so amazing when it comes to the Lord. You know what? That we have here, the Word of God. That we have the reality of the Gospel. That salvation comes from believing in Jesus Christ. Verse number 2. And this is going to be the second truth that the Lord wants us to know. It says there, The life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. I want to talk about eternity. See, because John, John talks about this eternal life which was with the Father and is now manifested to us. What he's talking about here, he's talking about the truth of Jesus. See, one thing about Jesus Christ, and understand this, Jesus dwells and God the Father, they dwell where? Outside of time. Understand that. See, they're in eternity. And as we look at them as being in eternity, we know that they, they live and dwell in this eternal place, but, they, but actually the Son, which was the Son of God, decided to come into this finite world. We covered this last week and, or two weeks ago in 2 Peter 3.8. And we talked about how one day is as a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years as one day. 
And why would Peter say this? It's because Jesus is outside of time. See, he's in eternity, and in eternity, understand one thing. There is no time. In eternity, it's not like measured the way we measure time today. Eternity has no measurement of time. It just goes on forever and ever, and that's why when we think about the Lord, he's outside of time. And so that's why to him, a day is as a thousand years or a thousand years is as one day. But the reality of all of this is that eternity came to visit us. See, the only one that can, that can come outside of time is God. The only one that can, can come outside of time into the finite time that we have is God. And John is telling us that, you know what? That he touched him, that he heard him, and that he saw him. And this is the second truth, that God left eternity to reveal himself to us. That's the second truth that God wants us to know. That God left eternity to reveal himself to you and to me. See, no one could do what Jesus did. You know what? To be in eternity, to leave eternity, and to go back into eternity. Only God has the power to do that. You know what? We have superheroes and we have all these Disney characters, right, that they've made into this type of thought. But they can't do it. You know what? They're all fake. They're all not real. As we talk about the reality, the truth of things, the only one that can do this is who? Is Jesus Christ. Is God himself. And he revealed himself to us. And because he can do this, we know that he is God. See, eternity came to visit us on earth. And John was a witness to this. One thing that we know is to live and to dwell here in this finite world, only God can do. No one else had the power to do that. And so let's go into the third truth. And the third truth is in verse 3. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you, may, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What's so amazing about this truth here, and I want you all to walk away with a sense of just, of greater understanding when it comes to the Lord's love for you. When we think about this third thing that, or third truth that John is revealing to us, he is saying that God came to have fellowship with us. That's the third truth. The third truth is that God came to have fellowship with us. When we look at it this way, you know, I spoke on the fact that God is infinite and, and the fact that he is infinite, you and I are not. You and I have a beginning and we have an end. And because we have a beginning and an end, we know that we're going to die. But when it comes to God, we know that, you know what? He left this eternity to come into this finite world because he wanted to fellowship with us. You know what? As I think about this, as I meditate on this, to think that, you know what? That God wants to fellowship with you and God wants to fellowship with me. How does this make us feel? You know what? Shouldn't this make us feel special and loved? To know that God wants to fellowship with us. You know, to think that the creator of all, the creator of the heavens and the earth, 
the one that speaks life and death, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God Almighty, the first and the last, has chosen to spend time with us. How does that make you feel? I mean, to me, it makes me feel special. It makes me feel just, you know what, just, it makes me feel great. Not just good, but it makes me feel great to know that God loves me and he wants to fellowship with me. And this is a point that John was trying to get across. See, man has the opportunity to spend time with God. And John experienced it himself. He wasn't told by another, but he was an actual eyewitness to it. If we really think about heaven, okay, and the things that we've read about heaven in Revelation and from Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and, and Job, and you think to yourself, the place where God is is just an amazing place, isn't it? It's a beautiful place. It's a place where there's not going to be no pain, no, no death, no sorrow, no tears. It's going to be a, it's a place that is beautiful, that there's no need of light because the glory of God lights the place, that there's no shadows in that place, that there's nothing but truth and beautiful, angelic beings and praising and worshiping the Lord, where the streets are like gold and the walls are like precious stones. To think that, you know what, that Jesus himself was, was there sitting on the throne and he had angels worshiping him and bowing down to him and, and others doing the same and in the luxury and the beautiful place that he dwelled in. To think that he would leave that place to come into a place that is infected by sin. How does that make you feel? He knows what this place is. He created it himself. He can see it. He knows it. You think to yourself, you know, why would you do that? Why would you leave eternity to come with us? And John reveals it to us that, you know what? He wanted to have fellowship with us. He wanted us to know Him. He wanted us to experience Him. He wanted us to have a relationship with Him, to see Him, to know that He is real, that He's no fake, that He's nothing a make-believe, but that He is a reality. And for me, that makes me feel special. And I pray that this also makes you feel very special, that God himself desires to have fellowship with you. As we get into the fourth point, and these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. One thing that John wanted to do, one of the things that he wanted each and every one of his readers as well as us, because as a reminder, the word of God is living. What we're hearing here is that they, the Lord, John, and the Spirit of God, and God the Father, they all want us to walk away with a sense of joy. Okay? We got to really understand what John is trying to tell us here. He's saying, I'm going to write these things to you, and this is God the Father, and I mean, this is the Son and, and the Spirit, and, and all of them working together, right, to tell us this very thing. They're all writing to us, telling us, you know what? We want your joy. We want, you, we want your joy to be full. And that's why they write these things. 
In order to understand this state of joy, we need to understand one thing. See, there's a difference between joy and happiness. We must be clear on this. See, John didn't say, oh, I want you to be happy, or I want your joy, I want, you, I want there to be a happiness in you. I want you to be filled with happiness. There's a, there a difference between the two. It is important for us to understand that the state of joy is not the same as a state of happiness. And when we walk away from this place, we're going to understand what Jesus provides for us. And in order to do this, I need to talk about happiness. See, happiness is a state that is caused by emotion. And what do I mean by this? I get happy, or you get happy, when you have a new car, don't you? How many of us get happy when we buy a new car? I think we all do, right? I think when we get home with that new car, what are we doing? We're washing it, we're cleaning it, and... And we do this for a while, right? Some of us put it inside the garage. Some of us buy car covers for it. But we get excited. We get happy when we have a new car. The same thing is for, well, some that don't have cars. I want to talk to you too. When you get a new bike, you'd feel the same way, right? You have, you're joyous because you know what? I got a new bike. And it's a slick bike. It's an awesome bike. I know many of us, when, for those of you that have bought a new house, how do you feel when you get a new house. You're happy about it, right? I think every single one of us is happy. What about when you first got married? Weren't you so happy? Wasn't it the happiest day of your life? You know, when we got married and or when you got married, it was it's just an amazing thing. The same thing with a, is with a job when you get your first job or a new job or the job that you've been waiting for and you've been working for. You know, for some, you know, when they lose weight, you know, this is one of those things. We all get happy when we lose weight, right? I think there's not one of us that isn't happy when we're not losing weight or having a baby. I think you all get the point, okay? There's a point that, that I was trying to make here, and that is that we all get happy because of these things that, that take place. But see, these things are only outside circumstances, Understand that. These outside circumstances are not long-lasting. And I want to explain this to you because this state of happiness will end. And what do I mean by it? What I mean by this is, remember I talked about that nice car that you bought? And how happy you were with your first car? What happens when you crash it? Are you still happy about that car? I think we're all upset and miserable and we're just depressed, right, for a day or two or for a month or whatever the case may be, but it's not long-lasting. You know, for those of you that drive bikes, what happens when your bike is stolen? You know, you're sad. You know what? That happiness isn't long-lasting. The same thing with houses. When the bank takes it away because you can't make payments anymore, are you happy about that? It's not long-lasting. You know what? For us, that when we gain weight after we lost it, what happens after that? We're not smiling and happy anymore, right? We're like, man, I got to lose weight. Same thing with our jobs when, you know what? The company happens to close down because, you know what? It can't function anymore. The times are hard and they can't afford you. And so they lay you off. 
We know that happiness isn't long-lasting. See, one thing we know is that happiness is not long-lasting. But what is long-lasting is joy. And this is what John writes about. And this is what we're going to be talking about. Joy is a state that can only come from the Lord. Understand that no one else can give you joy except the Lord. The other things are, will always make you happy, but they will not give you the joy that comes from God. See, joy is a thing of the heart. It is given to us by the Spirit of God. And what's amazing about this joy is that it doesn't change and that it remains constant. And the reason why is because it's related to my relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the only way that I can experience joy. Into coming, in, uh, in coming into a relationship and a fellowship with God. See, you and I were designed to have a relationship with God. Why do you think God created you? He created you because He loved you and He wanted to have fellowship with you. The problem is, is that you said, you know what, God, I don't want to. I like sin. And I want to do those things that make my flesh feel good and my body feel good. And so you reject the Lord because you go after the things of the flesh. But one thing we know, that when a believer gives his heart to Jesus Christ in faith, that that joy will come into you. We know that no matter when things go bad, when your car is crashed or your bike is stolen or your house is foreclosed or you lose your job or you gain back that weight, one thing we know is that we still have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. And we must always remember this. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is always secure. Understand that. You know what? As we abide in the vine, understand that our relationship with the Lord remains constant. Nothing can change it. We know that in Romans 8, it talks about this. And you know what? Let us turn there to Romans 8. In Romans 8.31, In Romans 8.31, it talks about this relationship that we have with God. In Romans 8.31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up to us all, how shall, we, how shall, he, not with who, how shall he not with him also give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is God who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, here we go, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. 
Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what happens to you, the joy of the Lord remains in you. And this joy can only come when you surrender your hearts, when you place your faith in Him. This is what the Lord said in John 15, 11. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. It is his joy that comes into us. And it is that joy that makes us full. Understand that. And this can only come from the Lord. The other things that make us happy, forget about them. But if you want the joy of the Lord, no matter what is going on in our life, trials, tribulation, peril, sword, whatever it is, know that nothing can rob or take that joy from you. We know that all these things are temporal, and we know that eternity is what's most important. When we look at the things that John revealed to us today, he revealed four things to us, right? He revealed the first thing, the truth about Jesus, is that Jesus came in the flesh. That was point number one. Point number two is that Jesus left eternity. Point number three is that Jesus wants to have fellowship with you. And point number four is that Jesus will make your joy full. These are the truths that have been revealed to us in these first four uh, verses See, God is so amazing. God is like no other. And we can have fellowship with Him. But the only way to have fellowship with God is to invite Him in. See, God wants you and I to have a personal relationship with Him. He wants our relationship with Him to grow. It's just not a matter of knowing Jesus or knowing His name, I should say. It's about knowing Him intimately, about knowing everything about Him. This is why we go through the Word. This is why we go into the Word. This is why we teach you from the Word. Because God desires that you should grow in His knowledge, grow in His grace, grow in Jesus Christ. God doesn't want to hide Himself from any of you. He, has, he wants to reveal all of Himself to us. And we know one thing is that if we want eternity, there is only one way to receive eternity, and this is through Jesus Christ. It comes through faith. And in knowing this, we are going to finish here, and I'm going to give you all the opportunity for those of you that don't have a relationship with Him, for those of you that may not have surrendered yourselves to Him, we're going to have this opportunity now. You know what? The only way to know the things of the Spirit is to receive the Spirit of God. And the only way to receive the Spirit of God is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. The truth comes. The truth of God. The love of God. The joy of God. The glory of God. All of this is revealed to us. And it can only be revealed to us through Him. By receiving Him. By inviting Him. 
by placing our faith in him. And with that, let us close our eyes, bow our heads, and let us pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for, for this time, Lord, as we get into a new book, Lord. There are new things that you're going to reveal to us, Lord, through this book. Things from eternity that you want us to know. Things about you to know your mind and your will for us. To know your purpose for us. Lord, you desire that we would know the truth. And you have given us this book because there are many things for us to learn. As we've been revealed today, that you came as a man. You came in the flesh. Though you did not give up your deity, you were still God. We know that you left eternity. We know that your desire is that we would have fellowship with you. And your desire is that our joy would be made full. Your desire, Lord, is to be one with us. This is why you created us. This is why you spoke us into existence. If there's anyone here that wants to surrender their lives or to come in the, to put your trust and your faith in him, to believe in him with all your heart, if you want to do this, if you want to be called a son or a daughter of God, you are given this opportunity now. God is calling you. And if you want to do this, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Raise your hand and we will pray for you. If you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, do that now. Don't let the devil mislead you. Don't let the devil keep you from receiving all that God has for you. If you want to do this, you can do it now. If there's anyone here that wants to recommit your life to the Lord, maybe there's sin that has separated you from Him. Maybe you're practicing sin and you want to walk away from this and live your life now one for the Lord. You can recommit your life now if you want to do this. If anybody wants to recommit their lives, then raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this, amen. Anyone else? Anyone else wants to recommit their life to the Lord? Anyone else before we close? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Lord, we thank you for these two that raised their hands, Lord. Their desire, Lord, is to make things right with you, Lord. And Lord, we know that, that Lord, yet you will not forsake, that you will not abandon, that you will not separate yourselves from those who seek you, Lord. We know those that seek you, Lord, will find you, and those that give their hearts to you, Lord, you'll never reject. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for these two that raised their hand, Lord. We give you praise, glory, and honor, Lord, for the truths that you gave us today, Lord. And we just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for just giving us a deeper understanding of who you are. We love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.